Thank you, ladies. I know that's uh, Bill, Bill's favorite song, and I'm sure Bill's watching today, and uh, reminds us to be praying for Bill and Laura, as usually are able to be here for Sunday school, but then are not able to be here for the morning service, and to continue to remember them and praise the Lord for them. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Last week, we, we had the opportunity to listen as Mike Maiosi led us through the first two verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And he described for us the privilege uh, that we have, both the privilege and the power of prayer when it comes to the spread of the gospel. And he reminded us of that not only in the text, but explained to us how he had experienced that personally as we had prayed for him during his most recent trip in, in Mexico, into Mexico. When we think about this, what we have here in 2 Thessalonians is perhaps the greatest representative for the gospel in the history of the Christian church. He had incredible intellect and wisdom, great experiences, amazing spiritual giftedness. And yet here we have in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul asking for prayer. Here's the Apostle seeking the prayer, the benefit of the prayers of these young Christians in Thessalonica. Many of the people here in Thessalonica had not been Christians for very long at all. And yet here you have the well-worn apostle asking them if they might pray for him because he recognized the great benefit and the great power that prayer has when it comes to the spread of the gospel. And it's really a stunning thing when you, when you think about it. The, the Apostle Paul was so convinced of the power of prayer, especially when it came to the success of the gospel message. And friends, this isn't the only time in the scriptures that he had done this. In Ephesians, he said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, pray for me. That, uh, this is Ephesians 6, 19. He said, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. To the Colossians, he begged them to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. He said, pray for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of the gospel. But not only that, he asked them to pray, not only for the success of the gospel, but he asked the Thessalonians to pray. And I think the reason that he did this will, will be evident in just a moment. He asked them to pray for the safety of, of the missionary team. He said, pray for us that we might be delivered from evil men. Now, why would he say that? And I'd just like to submit to you that the reason that he would say that is because even right now, at this very moment, the Thessalonians were going through that same issue, that same problem, that same difficulty in their own lives. What was it? Evil men were attacking them. Evil men were persecuting them. And he says, pray for us specifically that we'll be supernaturally delivered, supernaturally delivered from those perverse and harmful men 
who have opposed me everywhere I've gone. Everywhere Paul went, he was opposed by what he calls perverse or out of place, wicked men. And the Thessalonians knew that very well. Because remember, again, I think every time we've come to these texts, I've reminded you, from the very beginning, the Thessalonians experienced persecution. They did not know a day of following Christ without knowing suffering. Even at this very moment, they're in the crosshairs of this evil mob. And he calls them the wicked or the evil men. He knows, he's identifying them with that marker. The very ones. If you go back into Acts chapter 18, we won't look at that. But Acts chapter 18, Mike reminded us last week that Paul was in danger while he was writing this letter. Evil men attacking and opposing. And things looked bleak, my friends. Things looked bleak for Paul and the missionary team. Things looked bleak and difficult for the people who were there in Thessalonica. And sometimes the truth is that the message of the gospel seems like it's being stopped. The message of the gospel seems like it's being stopped instead of racing on. Sometimes it seems like evil men are getting the upper hand, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems in our life today, even we experience this, that evil men, perverse men, people who are out of place, who oppose the gospel, who oppose what is true on every side, sometimes it seems like they get the upper hand. And you've exper- we've experienced that corporately, we've experienced that, and some of you have experienced it personally, as you have suffered at the hands of evil men. But, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The end of verse 2, for not all have faith, not all have the faith. Seems bleak. Oh, no. And the Thessalonians were like, well, you better believe that's truth. That not all have faith because we're getting beaten by some of them. But, verse 3, what does he say? The Lord is faithful. Say with me. The Lord is faithful. And that's almost, it's almost as if we come to that phrase and just want to race right in. But the Lord is faithful. And we read on and just kind of get to the next major second in Thessal- uh, section in Thessalonians. And I think if we did that, we would do the text a disservice. And so today, I don't want to rush on. I want to sit with this for a little while. But the Lord is faithful. Let me just explain this for a moment. But shows a little bit of a, of a contrast. Not all have faith, but the Lord. Everything in this text, everything in, in, in this epistle, but especially everything in this text, is deeply rooted in the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that what we're in the midst of is we're locked in the midst of what I would call a Christocentric text. A text that is Christ-centered. And I began pointing this out to you a few weeks ago throughout the epistle. But the apostle referring to the Lord here, he's not referring to the Lord as if that's just a generic reference to God. But rather, the Lord is a specific reference in this epistle to Jesus Christ. Look back. Look at verse one, uh, verse uh, seven of chapter one. To grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. 
Now let your eyes go down to verse 12 of chapter 1. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip over chapter 2 verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 chapter 2. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Look down at verse 13 of chapter 2. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. And we're talking here about Jesus. Down in verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Simply say, I'm, I'm just pointing out to you, when he says the Lord, he's not just giving a generic term for God. He means the second person in the Trinity. He means God the Son. He is telling us that the Lord, uh, something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he telling us about the Lord Jesus Christ? He is telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ is what? Faithful. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ shares the same attributes as the Father and the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ shares the same attributes as the Father and the Spirit. Think of our memory verse from last week. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the what? Faithful God. He's called the faithful God. Isaiah 49. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because the Lord who is faithful. And Paul continually reminds us of the faithfulness of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful to provide the way of escape. God is faithful. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What I'm saying to you is this. As we read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 4 or verse 3, we can rightly say as Paul does here, it would be correct of us to say that Jesus Christ is faithful. I think it'd be a good idea if we actually knew what we meant when we said that. You know how sometimes we just say words, but we don't really get the gravity, the weight of what we're saying? Oh, God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. What does it mean when you hear the statement, the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful? Here's what it means. It means that he always speaks, does, and thinks in a manner that is true to who he is. To say that the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful means that he always speaks, does, and thinks in a manner that is true to who he is. I think the best way to understand when we say that, that God is faithful and when we say specifically that Jesus Christ is faithful is to understand this. That God honors his word. He is faithful to his word 
because he is faithful to himself. When we read the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful, I want you to think of it in this context. Think of it in the context of 1 Samuel 3.19. Listen to this. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That's faithfulness. To let none of his words fall to the ground. God said this to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.12. The Lord said, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And you know Isaiah 55.11. My word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it out. The writer of the Hebrews said, we are to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Listen, brothers and sisters. By the testimony of his own mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that he is actively building his church. I will build my church. He said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's it mean? It means that the death itself, death itself is no obstacle to the Lord Jesus Christ building his church. In other words, he's getting ready to face the cross when he says that in Matthew 16. And he is saying to his disciples, death itself is no hindrance to me building my kingdom. So when we read here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the words, the Lord is faithful, we're to understand that the Lord always honors his word, which is to say, if you keep following what I'm going here, it's to say this, he is always building his church so that even death itself is not an obstacle. He's faithful to that. The Lord is faithful he will not allow one of his words to fall to the ground. The Lord Jesus Christ is actively building his church such that death itself will not prevail against it, such that death itself will not be an obstacle. Listen, it doesn't mean that Jesus is just barely getting people to the door as if that's how he's building the church. If your idea of Jesus building the church means that he's just getting people into the door and then going back out and forgetting you know, the church and forgetting what he's... That's not what it means at all. What we have to understand here is that Jesus Christ is actively in the midst of his church. And he is bringing his church all the way to the intended purpose for which he ordained his church. And nothing will be an obstacle to it. He is building his church and there is no obstacle that could interfere with that. He's bringing his church all the way to spiritual maturity, all the way to Christ's likeness, all the way to his intended purpose, so that God in the end gets the glory. So let me say it this way. When we read here in 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, uh, 3 verse 3 and 4, that the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful, we have to understand that he will not turn away from he will not turn back from his word to build his church all the way through to completion. And what I want you to see this morning in this text 
is that this is going to be the foundation, this truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful is the foundation to three great assurances that are provided to you this morning. Three great assurances that are provided to you, not just individually, but provided to the church together by the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three assurances that are absolutely the foundation of the vibrancy of the local church. The vibrancy of the local church is not a matter of whether or not we have a good light show. The vibrancy of the local church is not a matter of whether or not we have a decent band or a really good budget or great organization or fog machines and lights. The vibrancy of the local church is founded on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. To do what he said he would do. So I want to give you this morning three assurances that are provided to you and I that will grant us or that are rooted in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here they are. Number one, the first assurance is this. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. All, all these begin this way. The Lord is faithful. Therefore, we know not, not maybe, we know, not might be, but we know that he will surely strengthen and guard every believer against the evil one. That's the first assurance. The Lord is faithful, therefore we know that he will surely strengthen and guard every believer against the evil one. Let's look at our text this morning and we'll move on. So the end of verse 3 again, uh, chapter 3. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And we're saying the first assurance that is afforded to us on the grounds of the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we know because he's faithful, we know that he will surely strengthen and guard every believer against the, against the evil one. Friends, you need to understand, you can expect, you can take this to the bank, that the Lord Jesus Christ will, ex, will strengthen and guard every believer against the advances of the evil one. You know and I know that our lives and our hearts and our minds are under continual demonic assault. Day in and day out, moment by moment. The apostle understood this as he continued to hold forth the banner of the gospel. And he encountered evil opposition on every side just like the Thessalonians encountered. And like a caring father... And like a loving pastor, the apostle turns once again. He had been asking for prayer for himself and his ministry team. And now he turns to them, to this young church, and declares that on the basis of the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have this sure foundation. What? That he will strengthen them. That word is the word, that word strengthen is the word from which we get our word steroid. Because he is faithful, the Lord Jesus Christ will provide, can I say it this way? He'll provide the spiritual muscle that is necessary for every believer in the midst of evil attack by evil men 
in evil days. He will strengthen, or we have in the ESV, establish. And that gives us the idea, the word is sort of like to make firm and immovable so that you won't be knocked off course. It refers to grounding something or someone in mind so that they don't turn back. Listen to what Peter told the suffering believers in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and here's our word, establish you. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of heartache, he, you can be sure, brothers and sisters, when I say, and when we read in the Scriptures that the Lord Jesus is faithful, we're not talking about, oh man, that means you get to name it and claim it because He's faithful. You know, prosperity gospel, woo-woo. That is blasphemy in the sight of Almighty God. What we're talking about here is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to firmly entrench, to firmly establish, to firmly strengthen His church so that no attack of the evil one will tear them away. How does he do that? How does he strengthen us? Listen to this. Paul said to Timothy, and this has quickly become over the last 30 years, really my life verse. Paul said this to Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Get your strength from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying get your spiritual vibrancy, your spiritual vitality, not from your own goodness, not from your own performance, not from your impressive spiritual resume, but from the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that, listen, is not only the source of our salvation, but is the overflowing fountain of spiritual provision in Christ. Beloved, you've got to understand this. You've got to understand that in Christ as a believer, you are built into and built into your union with him is everything you need for life and godliness. The moment you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, he has inbuilt into that union everything you need. And I know you experience hurt and feel pain and no sorrow. I realize that you've encountered the blistering disappointments of your own faltering faith. We all have, right? We've experienced the blistering disappointments of our own faltering faith combined with the barrage of spiritual doubt and demonic attack. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. Your strength was never dependent on good times. Your strength was never dependent on happy circumstances. Your strength was never dependent on health and wealth. Your strength was never rooted in your strength or in your lack of opposition. It is founded on the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave you everything you need for life and godliness in His own divine power. But not only will He establish you or strengthen you, He will guard you. And you know what guard means? Exactly that. It means to watch over so as to preserve. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. He, he doesn't allow one word. He does not allow His purpose to hit the ground. He never, what did Roddy say earlier? He never drops the ball. Right? 
and then has to pick it back up and start with a plus. Let me try this all over again. Oh, I messed that one up. The Lord Jesus Christ is so faithful, he shares the character of the Father to the degree that he cannot and will not let one word fall to the ground. He will not allow his children to be ruined by evil people or demonic attack. Praise the Lord. And this was a reminder to Paul as much as it was for them. Remember just earlier in 1 Thessalonians, we heard Paul sitting there wondering, almost wringing his hands it sounded like in 1 Thessalonians 3. I wonder how they're doing. Have they fallen to spiritual attack? Remember 1 Thessalonians 3, 5? And this is a reminder to him, wait a minute, it's not my church, it's his The truth is that the Lord is faithful and he will never fail to strengthen and to watch over his church. And how does he do that? This is a sermon in and of itself, but let me just say it this way. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the basis of his faithfulness, will most certainly certainly strengthen and guard his church so that every believer uh, against uh, the attack of, every, of, of, of the evil one. How does he do that? He does it, first of all, with spiritual gifts. He gifts his church. Listen, brothers and sisters, you, you are not saved simply to be an individual. You're not saved to be a lone ranger. That's why you've got to be part of the local church. Because being part of the local church means you are spiritually gifted to serve Christ by serving His church. And those spiritual gifts are the very things that God uses to demonstrate His faithfulness to keep you strengthened and guarded. How many times have I been in the pit of despair only to experience a spiritual gift that has come from another brother or sister in Christ and pulled me right out? He gifts the church. He, he not only gifts the church, but He guides the church for spiritual purposes. He guides the church for spiritual purposes. In other words, there's the sense in which, just like what happened in Thessalonica, what did Paul do? He's sitting there kind of worried about the church, so he sends Timothy to encourage them. And how many times have people been supernaturally guided within the church to minister to and love and and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ? How many times have you said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but, but you're on my mind. I'm just going to send you a text. I'm going to send you a phone. I'm going I'm to I'm call you. I'm going to stop by. How many times has that happened? God guides His church for spiritual purposes. He gifts it with spiritual gifts. He guides it for spiritual purposes, and He gives it the church spiritual weapons. I mean, think of all Ephesians chapter 6. Is there any weapon, is there any defense, is there any defense or offense that is not provided for you by Christ that you can stand against the evil one? Did he hold out on you at all? Has he missed something? Is there something he forgot? Is there something he hasn't followed through with? No. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. Now listen, I'm not asking you necessarily to validate this by your experience. I'm telling it to you to, to, so that you believe it by faith. This is how he explains himself to you. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. Secondly, we can say this. The second assurance we have is the Lord is faithful. Therefore, we can have confidence that believers will be obedient. The Lord is faithful. 
Therefore, we have confidence that believers will be obedient. You see this in verse 4? Let me read that again. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. As the pastor of this church, Paul could look at them and express great confidence not in them, but in the Lord. It's the Lord that gives him great confidence in this church. Now again, I just want to highlight, and, and, and maybe, maybe this will be for you to tease out later and think about later, but Paul had daily concern for, the, for all the churches, even this church. He had the daily, and, and I think in Corinthians, he even called it daily anxiety for all the churches. Yet at the same time that he had that daily anxiety, he had this great confidence that on the basis of their union with Christ, they would be obedient to the commands that were given to them. We can know for sure, brothers and sisters, that everyone who is united to Christ will be characterized by submission to the apostolic commands of the Scriptures. And I know what happens to his church. We're, we're beset by internal weaknesses. All of us beset by internal weaknesses. All of us beset by fleshly opposition. You and I, I mean, we, we read this about confidence and we want to throw up the reality that we encounter sinful inclinations. Every one of us finds sinful inclinations that fight against submitting to these apostolic commands. But in the Lord, we have confidence that believers obey the Bible. That's the strength. I, I, that is the strength of an enduring pastoral ministry. If I believed for a moment that the ministry of the Word was just this great big unknown, if I believe that, you know, I don't really know if it's actually going to make a tangible difference or not. And I tell you, that is... If, if there's one temptation I fight in my life in ministry, it is that continual temptation that the Word isn't going to make a difference. And, maybe, and that's what happens in the church today. That's why we go out to, to slick marketing campaigns. And we try to you know, dress things up and market the church and manipulate the church to make it look effective and to make it look fruitful when the fruit is just dry-rotted. If I believe for one moment that this wasn't going to make any difference, I don't know what I would do. But I believe I'd quit. But see, this is much... You understand that I'm, while I'm preaching to you, I'm not preaching for you. I preach as unto the Lord. And understand that as He takes His Word, He by His Spirit applies it to the heart of every genuine believer and we can have confidence that He'll bring forth fruit. I believe that Jesus is faithful and that every believer will respond in obedience to the commands of the Bible. Because Jesus is faithful. Otherwise, I don't know what I'd do. And somebody's going to say, but there's been moments in my life where I've, never, where I've not responded to, to, I've not responded in submission. I've not responded in obedience. My question is, if you've gone on in that, and if your life is 
is, is characterized by continual disobedience to God and continual rebellion against His command. If that is your life, then there's a bigger problem. But what I know happens is this. When believers, genuine believers, come face to face with the Word of God, God works in their lives to draw them into sanctification. And there might be a lot of scars and bruises getting there, but He is going to take you to conformity to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our hope. We have confidence in that. You were foreknown from before the foundation of the world, elected by God the Father, and you will not be lost. Praise the Lord. Because the Lord is faithful. Thirdly, the Lord is faithful. Therefore, we can trust Him to root us in God's love and Christ's perseverance. The Lord is faithful. Therefore, we can trust Him to root us in God's love and Christ's perseverance. The Lord is faithful. Therefore, we can trust Him to root us in God's love and Christ's perseverance. Look at verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This section closes in another prayer, just like it did back up in verse 16 of chapter 2. Once again, this this prayer is not wishful thinking. This prayer is the confident expectation. That's the reason why I'm saying that what we actually have here is flowing out of the realization that the Lord is faithful. He's not saying may as if there's a, a glimmer that this might not happen. The way that the grammar is such that he is expressing confidence, assurance, not wishful thinking. He's not uncertain about this, but he is confident in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? The faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ to come to his church and direct their hearts. This is amazing. This word to direct means to make a clear way, to guide, to clear out the path, to direct your way, to make a smooth pathway for your hearts. What is that? That's the inner man. To make, direct your hearts to the love of God. Now some are wondering if this could be referring to their love for God, and that's certainly a possibility, but I think in light of other contexts, what Paul is saying here is, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love that God has for you. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love that God has for you. And he says sim something very similar to that. In the book of Ephesians, if you remember there, just turn to Ephesians chapter 3 for a moment. You know this passage, but I, I just want to, you to see the correlation between what he said here in 2 Thessalonians and what he says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. And you'll see exactly what, 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 what he means. Second, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Right? So we're thinking, strengthened with power. That's right, we got power here. No, 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 no keep on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May have the strength. You need strength for this. You need strength to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
You see what he's saying here? This is, this is what really motivates our love for him is him directing our hearts, clearing the pathway, taking obstacles and objections out of the way as he leads you to see and understand, to comprehend the depth of the love of God for his church. And Jesus is faithful. And that's exactly what he's going to do. But not only that, he says that he'll direct your hearts not only to that, but that he'll direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. If, if you have the King James Version, you have there and into the patient waiting for Christ. But the words are actually referring to the patience that the Lord Jesus has. Not to your patience so much as his. It's similar to what the writer of Hebrews said in, in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter, for, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what? He endured the cross. In other words, Paul is assured, and we can be assured, that our faithful Lord Jesus Christ will direct our hearts to the same patient endurance which was exemplified by the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. And that's what he prays for for the church. Because Jesus is faithful, we can expect that this is the prayer that the Lord will most certainly answer. Do you want to pray a prayer that God will certainly answer? Pray in line with the faithfulness, the ministry of faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray in line with what he is doing. And one of the things that he is doing is leading his church, taking out obstacles and objections in our hearts that might cause us to not patiently endure suffering. Pray, Lord, I know you're faithful. I know you're faithful. And I pray, oh God, that in my life and the life of my family and the life of our church, that you would clear our heart, make our, the, the way for our heart clear so that we exemplify, so that we follow the ministry of Christ in patience, in endurance, in perseverance. The prosperity gospel has got it all whacked out and all wrong. Big time. This is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we collectively would endure suffering and hardship and heartache and heartbreak. And listen, brothers and sisters, as I look out over you now, and I can just, I look at each one and I think of moments and seasons in your life of heartache and heartbreak and difficulty and despair and doubt and discouragement. And I see all of those things coming. And all I can say to you is that the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord Jesus, is faithful. He will not allow you to, to be knocked off, to be, dis, to, 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 to be pulled back by an attack from the evil one. He will not. He is faithful. And, and He is going to see your obedience through. So if you're struggling with obedience right now, I'd pray something like this. Lord, Lord Jesus, King of kings, I know you're faithful because you tell me in your word you're faithful. And I have this utter, 
obstacle and hurdle before me that every time I come to obedience in this one area, I fall flat. Be faithful, Jesus. He'll lead us in our inner being to that end. This is the work of the Lord in building His church. You see, He's not just in charge of bringing people to the door. He's in charge of building them, building us up. That's what He does. We can know that He is faithful. We can be assured that He will surely strengthen and establish and guard every believer against the evil one. The Lord is faithful and we can have confidence that believers will be obedient and the Lord is faithful. We can trust Him to root us in God's love and in Christ's perseverance. I hope you see this, friends. <laughs> Lord, let, the, let us see this. That this text is telling you, it's instructing you about your Savior. About the one whom though you don't see, you love. He's telling you about Himself. So before you leave here today, just in your heart, would you pray something like this, Lord, before I leave this place today? I've learned something about you. I've learned that you're faithful. Even when evil men and evil plans and evil times are prevalent, you are faithful. You, you are faithful even in the midst of my struggle with, with submission. You are faithful even when I can't quite comprehend the depth and the length of your love for me. You are faithful even when I don't persevere in patient endurance like the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been thinking wrongly about Jesus? Have you been thinking wrongly? What do I mean? Has anybody here been thinking, and, and this is very possible, if not even probable, that the Lord has forgotten you? That He's neglected you? <laughs> That he's abandoned you? That he's grown weary of you? Are, are, does anybody have that thought? I think. Because you suffer in these ways and you wonder, has the Lord done these things? Has Jesus neglected me? And I hope that you see here how his word instructs you and corrects you and sets you right. Maybe you've gone wrong in thinking wrongly. But now what has he done? He's confronted you. You come in here today thinking somewhere God has forgotten you or maybe He's given to other people gifts and provisions He's not given to you. God has lovingly, boldly confronted you with that wrong thinking. And so now all you need to do is repent of those thoughts. He's giving you something solid. Something unchangeable which will motivate and initiate your gratitude. He's leading you to be a praise-giving a, a, a thanksgiving church to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ because He is faithful. He refuses to not strengthen you. He refuses to not strengthen you in the ways that He said He would. The only way that He refuses to strengthen you is in ways that He said He never would. He refuses to, to, he, he refuses to turn His back on you and not strengthen you in the ways that He said He would. He refuses to not protect you in the ways that He said He would protect you. That doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. In fact, God leads you and I in suffering. He has, he has His ordained ways. 
It's only for you and I to be strengthened and guarded in these ways. He can be relied on to lead our obedience. He'll never, ever violate that. He will never, ever violate that. He always leads you that way. And I think about this. In moments that I I find myself encountering temptation, and if by God's grace in that moment I remember the Lord is faithful, He immediately begins to extinguish that flaming dart. Now that doesn't mean it makes it easy. I am not into easy-peasy Christianity. I'm not into, you know, to everything is great, you know, now I'm happy all the day Christianity. I'm into true, rubber-meets-the-road Christianity when the fact is that you're facing temptation and burdens and struggles, you can remember that the Lord is faithful. And I tell you, He extinguishes those darts. And there might be another one come flying at you, but that same way that He extinguished that first one, He'll extinguish the next 10,000. And you can be sure that He will direct you. If you want to, you say, I've prayed for years and God has never answered my prayer. If you want to pray a prayer that you will be sure He answered, pray that your heart will be directed into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. And He will most certainly answer. Well, I think that should do it for this part of chapter 3. Let's pray.